Amen. Well, so glad you're with us this morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here. If you have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to be in the book of Acts today. That's our series that we're going through, the book of Acts. You can get there. Uh, feel free to turn or tap your way there. Lots of digital options if that's what you'd like to do. But if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, let us know. We'd love to be the ones to give that to you. As we go through the book of Acts, we're talking a lot about the beginning of the church. We know where it came from. Maybe everybody does. We're a Christian church, and the idea is that we're trying to follow the teachings of Christ. He's the, he's the place we've come from. But then there's this whole following of Jesus, and how is that following managed? How is it administrated? What is its purpose? What is it like to be part of it? Why did it go the kind of path that it took historically? How did we end up with what we've got today? All very big questions that hopefully thinking people are asking. And a lot of it comes from this book, this book of Acts. The first book after the life and ministry of Christ, he dies on the cross, resurrected from the grave, and then ascends to heaven, leaving his disciples with a mission. And they go about trying to complete that mission. And yet, part of the just hilariousness of God is the way in which humanity goes about it. It just doesn't seem to have much... um, um, There's not much that you can say for the people in the book of Acts. God is clearly puppet mastering all of the stuff that goes on. You don't really give a lot of credit to the apostles or to the disciples. You just see God leading them from one thing to another. And I am encouraged personally by the amount of problems they have to overcome. We go about doing all kinds of different stuff at Hope Church. You saw, uh, we've talked a lot about this trip that we took down to Colorado City. And there were problems that came up constantly. My... uh, Job. One of the things I was doing is I was driving this giant, very tall Dodge van down. Rental van, 15-passenger thing that was very tall. And as we were driving down, uh, you know, like an 18-wheeler or something, you would pass it. And the wind would stop blowing. And then you get on the other side of the 18-wheeler. And all of a sudden, it would kind of pick back up again. And the wind would start to rock and roll the van. And I was riding with Josh and uh, Dan. And I would just keep talking like it wasn't a big deal. But like inside, you're driving and you're like, oh no, you know, what's going to happen? You imagine the whole thing going sideways. And we get down to Colorado City. We're there a little bit earlier. Uh, Rachel and my wife brought our kids down a little bit later. And she's texting me and just says, hey, just want you to know the van check engine light came on. So I'm driving and I'm talking to Dan and Josh. And I'm just thinking about what is going to happen here. Check engine light goes on, it starts flashing, and then some piston pops out of the hood, or something goes terribly, terribly wrong, and I'm stuck in the south part of the state, which apparently Sprint doesn't know exists. There's no (laughs) coverage for hundreds of miles, and my wife could be just stuck somewhere, and I wouldn't know it until she just doesn't get there, and I'd have to just drive up the interstate until I found her, hopefully. I'm thinking through these problems. And I said to Dan, who's in the car with me, just sort of a weird question, but would you rather just never have problems or have a God who works those problems around for your good, who's with you through the problems and works them around into something good? And of course, Dan's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the weirdest question you've ever asked. Yeah, okay, but I'm, I'm just thinking, like, wouldn't it have been great 
if my life had gone differently and I just had piles of money. Because people with piles of money don't have check engine light problems. They buy German cars and the German mechanics (laughs) work on those cars. What if? What if I just didn't have some of the problems that I have? And yet, of course, that's not really an answer. That's a very human answer, but it's not really an answer because we know that people who do have lots of money still have lots of problems. Maybe they don't have the same problems, but they still have problems. Again, I was trying to solve this money problem with wealth, but there's a, so there's a, an online show, Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee, and it's Jerry Seinfeld interviewing some comedian. And Jerry Seinfeld, very successful comedian, interviewing Kevin Hart, also very, very successful, very financially flush comedian. And they're talking to each other, and Kevin Hart's talking about how it's so weird to him that his kids have such a different life from what he had. Because though he was a kid, he grew up in like poor Philly, and had a rough, rough life. Then he made it really good, now he's got kids, and they're living a very plush life. And Seinfeld has something similar, I guess. And so they're talking about it. And Jerry says, very good quote, I think. He said, your problem was things are bad. How do I make them good? Young Kevin Hart, poor guy, says, things are bad. How do I make them good? Your kid's problem is things are good. Why do I feel bad? And again, he's saying something that I think really is very true. There's part of you that thinks if I could just have this much more money, if I could just have this much more control over my world, that I would be that much more happy. And yet when you gain either that goal that you had or do you just get a little closer to it, you realize very quickly that's not the case. Maybe it's not money. Maybe you just think if I was more powerful, if I got that promotion, if I had that much more influence over the world around me, then, then I wouldn't have problems, or then I wouldn't feel so anxious about everything. But if you talk to the people who have more power, or more power than they used to have, that's not the case. Oftentimes you feel that much more anxiety because you've got that much more of a castle to try and protect. Very, very attractive people, you say, if I was wildly attractive, Maybe things would be better, but we live a very similar life. (laughs) Obviously a stupid joke, but I'm saying you think that about people, and yet if you could somehow be in their fantastic skin, you would realize that there's a whole new set of insecurities, anxieties, problems, issues. Are we really loved for us, or is it just the outside? Well whole nother level of issues. The world gives us this sort of narrative that maybe if I increase, maybe if I get better at, maybe if I get more efficient with, then I'll be okay. But, of course, that's not the real answer. And you can figure that out. You can talk to people that are further along. Are they okay? Or do they have still these issues, these things that come up, these things that just all of a sudden put a vice around your world and nothing happens until that vice is released? In the scripture, in the book of Acts, you have this consistent pattern of things going well and then things going off a cliff. And that's kind of where the second piece of my question comes. I think to myself, what if I didn't have problems? Meaning, what if I had the kinds of things that people have in order to solve problems? Money, wealth, whatever. 
But really what the Bible offers you is a God who is with you in those problems. A God who helps you to come through those problems on the other side and see that he was actually doing something through that difficulty. Is that better? Well, what I want us to do in the book of Acts, especially in the next couple of chapters, because today we're actually going to go through four chapters is I want us to see in an overarching kind of a way. A lot of times we zoom in on a paragraph or one single story, and that's perfect. That's wonderful. Get a little bit more detail. But if you zoom out a little bit, you can see how these stories fit together and why they're placed there the way that they are. And with the book of Acts, he is giving us something to, to chew on when it comes to the issues that come up. And I don't just mean how do you have a better life or how do you manage your budget better. What I'm saying, what I think Scripture is saying consistently, is if you can have this set of priorities, if your God is this God, then you'll watch as He'll do the same thing with you that He did with them. See, the church was going really well. All this stuff was going on, and there were some bad things happening, but the bad things would often mean that the church would grow. It would either grow in number, and often that was the case, or also it would grow in its tightness. People would love each other better. They would care for each other more. They would be more cohesive as a unit. And then, at the end of Acts chapter 7, this one great guy, Stephen, nothing extremely special other than he's just filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's doing all this amazing stuff, he's speaking, and the people that are coming against him are just overwhelmed by his wisdom, so much so that they had to get false witnesses, a little kangaroo court together, so that they could persecute, prosecute, and then kill Stephen. And this church, this tight, sweet, young church, watches as one of their deacons get put in a pit and smushed broken apart physically, his stones rain down on him. Then we get to Acts chapter 8. What's God going to do with this? Well, Saul approved of his execution. We'll talk more about that in a second. And there arose on that day a great persecution about the, against the church in Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So you have the apostles staying where they are, still trying to keep things put together, But the church runs. You just imagine. Think about it. You just read it and it's just a story and you're just trying to get through your bow ring for the day or whatever. No, wait. Imagine some upstanding member of Hope Church gets crucified in front of us. No, Stephen wasn't crucified. Let's just say some upstanding member of Hope Church is murdered in front of us for being part of Hope Church. Not for some other reason. And of course, everybody just scatters to the winds. And the next Sunday, myself, David, and Josh, pastors here, are still here. (laughs) What do you do next? Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. What do you do with that? Well, let's see what God did with that. That is a gigantic problem that's working against this church, growing together in unity and interdependence and all this incredible witness to the world of what Jesus does with humanity. And then, kill this guy Stephen, church scatters. How does God use this incredible, 
difficulty. Well, we don't have the time to read every verse in chapters 8 through 11. We could take that time, but the children's workers would crucify me. Uh, So instead, I'm going to kind of summarize. We're going to move together. This guy, Philip, one of the leaders of the church, is scattering with all these other people. But as he's scattering, is preaching. He talks to people about Christ in Samaria. And if you remember, from the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus tells the people, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. One wonders why they've gotten this far without attempting a conversation with the Samaritans. And yet, after Stephen is crucified, uh, I keep saying crucified, after Stephen is martyred, he was stoned, after Stephen is martyred, Philip actually goes to Samaria, begins to speak the gospel to them, and lo and behold, they believe. Great numbers believe, so much so that the apostles come and visit Samaria from Jerusalem in order to organize those people together into a Samaritan church. Philip then goes and encounters this Ethiopian eunuch, an official, a leader among the people in Ethiopia. He's going back to Ethiopia, reading the book of Isaiah from the Old Testament. Some scholars call Isaiah the fifth gospel because there's so much in it about Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. And Philip says, you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, how in the world am I supposed to understand this stuff? And so Philip jumps up in there and says, what are you reading? And he, he reads him a passage that is just absolutely perfect. It's like a window that you see through to see Jesus. So Philip just says, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what this is talking about. The Ethiopian believes, baptized, and then is actually sent. So a guy that's escaping, running away from persecution, then meets somebody and then sends that guy. You've now got two missionaries going as this persecution's taking place. Then this Saul guy who is ravaging the church actually meets Jesus, is struck blind by the glory of the risen Christ as Jesus interacts with him on this road to Damascus. Maybe you've even heard that. It's become like a saying, my Damascus road moment. My moment where everything changed. This guy Ananias has to go and fix up Paul. He's frightened because he knows about Saul. Saul, Paul, two different names, same guy. In Acts 9, Jesus says to Ananias, the Lord said to him, go. Go talk to Saul, help him out. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Think about that. How does God deal with the problem of a martyr right at the center of your movement? He uses the scattering people to preach the gospel. We see this with Philip and several others. We'll get to more. And then he takes the very enemy of the church, converts him, and uses him to write most of the New Testament. How perfect is that? You got this incredible problem and God laughs and says, what if I take the most uh, heated of your enemies and make him the most ardent of your supporters? What? That's exactly what he did. Saul begins to preach Jesus. Himself gets persecuted. Peter keeps walking around and all this stuff's going on. He's trying to organize these different movements as all these people are scattering. He's seeing people be healed. He's teaching them. He's bringing these new works closer to what the saints in Jerusalem experienced in that first glimpse of what the church could be in the book of Acts. We're seeing all this stuff that took place in the early chapters and Peter's trying to help people experience those same things with them. And then he has a vision. Peter's up on the roof. 
these houses, they had nice roofs. You'd go up there because it's hot inside. And he's sitting on the roof and he's hungry. And he asks them, hey, you fix me something. They're going to fix him something. It's good to be an apostle. While they're making his lunch, he's sitting up there and he has a vision. And in this vision, God radically again changes the direction of the church. Not of what he had said from the beginning, but of the way the church was going. This vision is repeated a couple of times in these chapters, so we're going to read it in its entirety. Acts chapter 10, verse 11. Peter saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said... By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. What in the world does that mean? What happened was, Peter was being encountered by God with a visual illustration of the way that the church was acting and should now act. But to understand that, you have to understand something about the Old Testament. So, if you're holding your Bible, if you have a physical one, we're in the right side of it in the New Testament in the book of Acts. But you've got that whole thing to the left side of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you have all these incredible ways that God reveals himself to his people. And yet, it's a little bit weird because it's very different from the New Testament. God reveals himself to his people as a bright light in the center of all things. This temple. Now, it's a long Old Testament. There's all kinds of stories that are involved with this. But for a majority of the Old Testament, God's presence dwells in the midst of his people. And it's representative as the bright center of all things. The temple of God, he's not some dark God. And people are fearful and they build this temple in order to allay their fear. He is a bright God. He's the savior and provider of his people. He is the lover of his people. And this temple in the middle of their civilization is built to house the presence of God based on his instructions. And this house was a beautiful house. It was built by Solomon who had the wisdom and the wealth to make something extravagant. And yet the people of Israel had to realize that they could not enter into that building. The constant message was that that's the bright center of all things and I am outside of it. You couldn't go into the temple. Only people that were allowed to go into the temple were the priests. Now there was different layers to it and different groups could get so far, but the only people that could get into that inner part of the temple were the priests. The priests were the ones who God had ordained to represent the people before himself. They needed representatives because they weren't holy enough to be in his presence. And of course, neither were the priests. They too had to go through elaborate cleansing ceremonies and cleaning ceremonies and sacrifices to then be allowed to go and sacrifice before God for the people. And the message of all of this, because of course God is not housed in that building. It's an elaborate illustration. And the message of all of this is that God is the bright center of all things and you have chosen something other than him to worship. And if you choose to try and come back into his presence, we've got to deal with that, get ready for the word, sin. 
Sinner can't just stand before the presence of a holy God. He'll be consumed. No. If you're going to stand before the presence of God, somebody has to atone for that sin. And in the Old Testament, the picture that they used was that they killed animals. And the blood of that animals was supposed to be evidence that you had repented of your sin and somebody else had paid the price for your sin. But now you can stand before So isn't this righteous act where God was impressed by your righteousness and you climbed this ladder in order to be in his presence? No. You have failed. And the only way now to be in his presence is for someone else to step in your place, for someone else to be killed in your place. Do you see the picture? Now in the New Testament, Jesus becomes both that priest and that sacrifice. Having lived perfectly he can stand before God without going through an elaborate cleansing ceremony. He can stand before God because he himself is holy. And that holy one, when he died on the cross, became that sacrifice for you and for me. And so what Peter is talking about, he has received generations, centuries of tradition and law, which God used to separate his people out from the world. To help the world understand that you can't just stand before the presence of God. You have to change if you want to be in that bright center of everything. And that's the same message that we preach today. And yet, those laws that God had in the Old Testament had to change when Jesus came. Of course they did. Those Old Testament laws painted this beautiful picture of what Jesus would then come and do. Think about the ways in which things changed. We no longer sacrifice animals because Christ was that sacrifice. And we no longer have a temple because what Christ did allows us to stand in the presence of God. Think about what the Gospel of Matthew says. It says that when Jesus died on the cross, this gigantic curtain, that blocked off the presence of God from the people of God, ripped in two. Because now, in Christ, you can stand in that holy presence. In the first part of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people, this fire, these tongues of fire that sit among the, um, upon the heads of the people, and if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, totally fine. We preached on it, and I don't have time to review But these these fiery tongues that rest on the people, it's the presence of God, the real, actual presence of God on these people. Do you see? Peter says, I can't eat that stuff, it's unclean. He wasn't able to keep kosher and still eat that stuff. And God says, do you not see that the law has been fulfilled? Things are totally different now. Instead of drawing people to a bright center of the universe that they need to see that they can't be a part of unless something dies for them, the death has taken place and now that bright center of the universe can be out there. And so these Christians, these new people, these people who believed and received were now being sent by God, scattered by God to go. To go among the Jews, to go among the Samaritans or the Habsies, And to go among the Gentiles, everybody else. This graphic picture that God paints for him by inviting him to come and to eat what's unclean is not saying break rules. It's saying that what was has been fulfilled and now things are different. 
You can now go. And no, no, no sooner does the vision end than a man comes into this house and says, I've been sent. I need Peter. Peter says, what do you want? And the guy says, this guy, Cornelius, very important Roman man, Gentile man, has been this, he's been visited by an angel and told to come to this place and ask for a guy named Peter. All kinds of cool stuff. Again, we, we wish we could zoom in further. But Peter goes, he preaches to the Gentiles, something that they were commanded to do, still didn't seem to connect that they should actually do. And it says in Acts 10, 42, and he commanded, this is what Peter is preaching to the Gentiles, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so the gospel goes forward even to the Gentiles. Why? What? What is going on? The presence of God and the real people of God are now going and spreading that presence across all boundaries. Think for a moment about how just broken our world is. I don't just mean that the systems should work better than they do. I mean that the groups of people within our world are segmented, just like the parts of a thing that have been broken out. What can tie those different groups back together? This. It's exactly what was taking place. In Acts 11, Peter stands up and he tells them, uh, the people, the the leaders in Jerusalem, why it was that God had done this amazing thing. And now they're going to go and preach these same things out in the world. It says in verse 17, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us who believed in in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? They didn't think that this thing would happen. It did happen. Peter said, we need to change. God has already made his decision. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Then this book zooms back to the death of Stephen and it tells us a little bit more in a broad way about what happened. It says in verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. They didn't know about this whole Gentile thing. They're still just preaching the word to their own people. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Spoke to the Greeks. Also, preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Again, apparently they're running out of apostles to send. So they just go down and send some other folks. Barnabas, great guy, sent him. He gets there and the grace of God is so full on the people. He exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Barnabas, again, full, good guy, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A great many people are added to the Lord. Then Barnabas goes to Tarsus, looks for Saul, and brings Paul, Saul, with him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they meet with the church, taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Do you see what just happened? God established for us a pattern of taking His goodness, His love, and His holiness, that bright center of the universe, out to people. To make disciples and start churches. Do you wonder then 
why we say Hope Church exists to make disciples and plant churches. It fits. Do you understand more broadly why such a thing is important? It's not so our brand is more prolific. It's so the love of God that unites God and man and man and man can filter out into the world, bringing all people, every tribe, tongue, nation, tribe, tongue, nation, and something. Help me out. Nobody else reads their Bibles? All right, that's fine. If I don't know, you don't know either. We'll just skip it. Every tribe, tongue, and nation together under one banner. That's what it says here. These people, they did. They weren't anybody special. They don't even get names. They're just men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Well, thanks, guys. And then God uses the same guy that was going to kill the church to begin it to the point that they're first there called Christians. Okay, so there's a ton of stuff happening. I want you to see our model. You got to understand it. You need to go and speak about what God's done and invite people to come and see here at Hope Church. You need to do that. And as you do that, and people come to know who God is, we're going to organize those people together. Not, we're not going to be in leadership over them necessarily. We will for a little while, and then God's going to raise up leadership from within them, and then we just let them go. And then there's a whole other thing. They'll go do the same thing, and the same thing, and the same thing, and slowly the love of God will permeate the world. Strategy. And principle. Because remember that God ordained all of this to take place as the people scampered from a martyrdom. God ordained the New Testament to be written by the guy who incited the first Christian martyrdom. Is it not then possible that he will use all of the problems that constantly just wash over you whenever you try to do anything kingdom oriented to do something bigger than you've ever imagined? I have to think that he did it that way exactly so that we will expect, hopefully expect, the problems that come to us to serve us and to serve his kingdom. Do you really believe that? Wouldn't you be fearless? <laughs> I, I think you would be. At that point, you wouldn't want to live in a world maybe without problems. And you would be so absolutely thrilled to be with a God who's going to walk with you through those things and use them for His glory. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I just, I thank You for heaven. The moment that we will be with You forever, without problems, forever, that's coming. And yet, Lord, we want to focus in for a moment and just praise You that You are also the God who fixes our problems today. Our main problem about being distant from you and distant from the rest of mankind, the brokenness of the world around us, but also even our daily problems. If you can use the man who meant to kill the church, to serve the church, Lord, you can use any problem that comes our way to do something more than we ever asked or imagined. Please fill your people with hope, Lord. Let us be that much more effective 
for the good of this city and for your glory. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.